Bulletproof Radio, a state of high performance. You're listening to Bulletproof Radio with Dave Asprey. Everyone's talking about red light therapy beds and for good reason. There's a company called ARRC LED that's building an entirely new class of LED devices. ARRC LED beds integrate proprietary scanning technology and frequency protocols to shape the delivery of six different wavelengths in dose-optimized photobiomodulation. Yes, that's a lot of words. What it is, though, is that photobiomodulation improves the underlying energetics of the cells in your body. And those changes can benefit nearly every tissue and organ and system in your body. You change your cells and you change your life. For more information, visit ARRCLED.com. What if there was a way to feel younger for longer? Well, there is. Your body needs something called the NAD plus molecule to help you age well. When you're young, your body makes a lot of NAD plus, and that helps you make energy. It helps you keep your DNA healthy, absorb nutrients well, and it protects your cells from stress. But once you hit about 30, your NAD plus levels start to drop. The good news is that longevity scientists have found some things that can help, like niacin, niacinamide, and niagen. They help your body make more NAD plus even as you age. All three of these are in an amazing formula called Qualia NAD+. Check out Qualia NAD+, risk-free, for up to 100 days at neurohacker.com slash Dave15 to save an extra 15%. That's neurohacker.com slash Dave15, Qualia NAD+. It's what I use. Today's cool fact of the day is that if you sleep with a snorer, you lose about an average of two hours of quality sleep per night which is why I highly recommend kicking the snorer repeatedly. What if there was a way to level up your energy, get rid of stress, and take more control of your body? Welcome to Quantum Upgrade. This is a new technology that taps into quantum energy to help you feel amazing. Quantum Upgrade has a lot of different products that help protect you from EMF and help activate your body's natural healing abilities. You can expect better sleep, more resilience, less stress, and better blood flow. The cool thing about Quantum Upgrade is that the products are backed by a lot of heavy-duty scientific studies, and there's a new measurable upgrade. You can now use Quantum Upgrade to increase your consciousness levels between 1,400 and 2,200 on the Hawkins map of consciousness. If you don't know what that means, do some research because it's impressive, it's fun to learn about, and it's something that I've come to understand. Ready to try Quantum Upgrade? Visit quantumupgrade.io slash Dave for a seven-day free trial. I'm really excited today to have Sarah Gottfried, MD, on the show. Sarah is a natural hormone expert, a Harvard-educated physician, a keynote speaker, and author of a new book called The Hormone Cure, Reclaim Balance, Sleep, Sex Drive, and Vitality Naturally with the Gottfried Protocol. Simon & Schuster is just publishing her book. And I know Sarah from speaking on the same stage as her at a life extension conference last year. For the past 20 years, Dr. Gottfried's been dedicated to helping women feel at home in their bodies with natural hormone balancing. After graduating from the physician scientist training program at Harvard Medical School and MIT, she completed her residency at UCSF, and she still teaches medical students there. She's board certified in obstetrics and gynecology, teacher of the adjunct faculty at Touro University of Osteopathic Medicine, and a mentor to medical students in her virtual medicine practice, which is called the Gottfried Institute. You've probably seen her in O Magazine, Glamour, or Yoga Journal, or The Ricky Lake Show, or 2020. You can learn more about Dr. Sarah and her book at thehormonecurebook.com. Sarah, welcome to the show. Thank you, Dave Asprey. I am so happy to be with you. Some people might be wondering, why the heck do I have an OBGYN on the Bulletproof Radio Show? (laughs) 
it's interesting. Your book is about stuff that we talk about all the time, like hormones, which are part of anti-aging and high performance, and sleep. Good God, sleep hacking is a big thing. Sex drive. I mean, you and I had a great conversation about orgasms not that long ago. And just vitality. These are all bulletproof concepts. And I'm, I'm super stoked to be able to ask you questions because you've got such an awesome background for this. Well, thank you, Dave. And I, I definitely want to make the point here at the beginning that I am really I'm into guys as well. This first book is designed for women, but I'm hoping that we can have a conversation that really includes the men as well. So the you know, one thing that my husband said when he first read my book was that guys, if your woman's hormonal, you're in trouble. You need to read this book. Your life will be so much better. Uh, it's true. You you can biohack your spouse. <laughs> exactly. Or at least <laughs> amplify the positive. Right, Dave? <laughs> exactly. We, uh, um, you know, my wife's a physician as well, kind of a similar setup there. And it's, it's kind of funny understanding the hormonal changes in both men and women over, you know, the short term and over the longer term is, I think, core to understanding some behaviors in all relationships. How far into that in this book do you go? Pretty far. You know, I, I really feel like the conversation we've been having to date about hormones is the wrong conversation. We tend to focus on really the downstream issues, you know, what's happening with specific hormones. And this book really takes on both the downstream and also the upstream control systems. And so I, I really believe that when you have a more complete picture you're much more likely to affect a cure. So that's why I named this book, The Hormone Cure. I feel like we live in a culture that's obsessed with throwing prescription pills at the symptoms that we have. And I really don't believe that that's the most effective way to proceed. We've got to figure out the root cause, whatever that is. Maybe it's genetic, maybe it's environmental, maybe it's your amygdala. We want to look at the whole picture. And one of the things I found is that really all paths lead back to your skillfulness with stress and downstream that involves your cortisol levels. So yeah, my book's a little different in that regard. And I, I think especially when you're talking about relationships, I love that you brought that up. You know, when I was in my thirties and I was struggling with pretty much every hormonal problem a woman could have, I was a working mom in McMedicine, married to kids and I was in a place where my PMS and my cortisol was making me fat, frazzled, and a total frumpster. And I was blaming my husband for a lot of the misery. So I really think that when you step into the grace of understanding the root causes of what is keeping you miserable, like you've done, Dave, <laughs> with your experiment, that's where you really are able to create radical health. So I, you and I agree that cortisol is terribly important. And it, so here, here's a, a just kind of a blunt question. Every hormone, if you have too much of it, is bad. And every hormone, if you have too little of it, is bad. What about having too little cortisol? Do you run into that with your, your patients? Is that an issue with stress mongers as well? Definitely. So, you know, what I would say is low cortisol is a later downstream effect of chronic stress. Yeah. So when you, you know, we're, as you know, Dave, we're designed anciently to cope with a stress. You know, you come across a tiger as a caveman or a cave woman, you come across a tiger, you raise your cortisol as a way of coping so that you raise your blood pressure, raise your blood sugar, and you're able to run or, you know, fight the tiger. And the problem is many of us are running around with this emotional feeling that a tiger is chasing after us. So we're designed to have this sympathetic nervous system, you know, kind of a button, the on button for our nervous system. We're designed to hit that button pretty rarely, you know, maybe once a month, maybe once every three months when you have a physical danger. We're not designed to be hitting that button every day. So I think the problem is when you've got chronic stress, initially you've got high cortisol, as you were describing, 
And over time, those cute little adrenal glands in your mid-back that are the size of a pencil eraser, they just can't keep up with the demand. And you will make cortisol no matter what. You will make cortisol at the expense of your other hormones. And when your cells and your adrenals can't keep up, that's when you start to see high and low cortisol within the same day. I consider that sort of a second stage of adrenal dysregulation. And then ultimately, you can have low cortisol levels. And then just to add another layer of complexity, Dave, there's also cortisol resistance. I'm oversimplifying a little bit. It's also known as glucocorticoid resistance, but nobody wants to hear that word. So <laughs> this, you know, just as you might have heard of insulin resistance, I know you had a time in your life where you were insulin resistant, as I did, where your cells become numb to insulin. You can also have cortisol resistance. This is very well documented in the past couple of years. Do you tell us how to reset cortisol resistance in your book? I do. You know, I, I think there's so many ways to do it. And I can tell you from working with people online, I really believe it's important to have a very long a la carte menu of yeah. how to set your relationship to stress, your relationship to cortisol. And you and I, I think, have very similar lists in terms of what's on there. But the range, you know, when I have someone who comes to me in person for uh a concierge coaching appointment, for instance, or works with me online, sometimes I'll talk about yoga and meditation, hitting the pause button, and they just look at me and roll their eyes. And so I think it's important that all of us, <laughs> if you learn nothing else today, I want you to have your top five list of how to hit the pause button and really work it. Like we've got to hit that pause button every day. It's a really important part of that balance between your sympathetic nervous system, fight or flight, and then more tend and befriend in women, that on button versus the off button, which is our parasympathetic nervous system, rest and digest. It, it's a, a definite focus in my executive coaching practice as well. I get people who have high cortisol, people with low cortisol. Um, but at the end of the day, a lot of people don't know how to turn off their stress. Like their top five list is is not actually things that turn off stress. Like oh, video games. Like those <laughs> those don't turn off stress. Sorry. <laughs> what what are the, some common top five turn off stress things that you see with your patients? Yes. Well, maybe what I'll do is I'll start with some of the things that you and I have talked about that we both love and. I just had the pleasure of going to the HeartMath Institute. So maybe we could talk about it. Oh, now. cool. Yeah. So, you know, you and I really are in agreement about the importance of positive emotions and how you don't just want to calm down with this list of five. You want to actually amplify the positive. I made that allusion earlier. And I, I think it's so important to realize that you're much more likely to repair your matrix, your body your brain adrenal connection, you know, to get a little more granular, your amygdala, your hypothalamus pituitary, and how it connects to your adrenals, your HPA axis, you're much more likely to repair it if you focus on positive emotions like happiness, love, forgiveness. And this is not just some woo-woo idea. It's actually well-proven. So, Come on, Sarah. You're, you're a hippie. Admit it. Okay, you know, I'm in <laughs> I am a yoga teacher. I'm a bit of a hippie. It's true. <laughs> You're also a Harvard-trained physician, which is why I'm bringing this up. Like, it, it's so stereotypical, and, and a lot of people, women and men included, they hear that stuff, and they're like, oh, for God's sake. But here's the deal. It's legit. It's totally legit. We've got hard science behind this. I think hard science is sexy. So, yes, I'm a hippie. I also like Jimmy Choo's. What can I say? And <laughs> So let's maybe sketch out. I could give some headlines of this top five list and yeah. we could drill down on the ones that you want to. So number one, I would say any of these techniques from the HeartMath Institute, I am madly in love with. And the reason is because your adrenals don't just respond to your brain. They respond to what your heart tells your brain. So we can explain that more maybe in a moment. And it's been proven that several of these heart math techniques reduce cortisol by 23%. They also raise DHEA. So super exciting. So that's number one. Number two, I definitely think if we look at 
the quality of evidence, probably the best evidence we have on hitting a pause button is with mindfulness. So this is that lineage of John Kabat-Zinn. I think there's many different ways to do it, whether you know you eat a raisin mindfully or what I prefer is you eat dark chocolate mindfully. Which, Yay. Oh, but, oh, go ahead. Just, I, I was just cheering for dark chocolate. It's one of the things I manufacture to be low, of micro, low in mycotoxins. So I um, totally love that you're saying chocolate. Well, not just that, Dave. I mean, here's what I love about you as a biohacker is that you're a citizen scientist extraordinaire and you are so data-driven. So not only is dark chocolate one of the greatest pleasures, and I'm sure it raises oxytocin, which is a really important way to lower your cortisol, we know that in a randomized trial of dark chocolate, 40 grams a day, after two weeks, that lowers cortisol. So I, I would definitely add dark chocolate as number three. And even say, okay, your dark chocolate, low in mycotoxins, very effective. Lovely. Thank you. Yes. Uh, number four, you know, I, I really believe that 95% of natural hormone balancing can come from how you eat, move, think, and supplement. So what I'll do is maybe throw in a couple of supplements here. Some of my favorites for lowering cortisol are phosphatidylserine. Yay. Yay. That's a yes. The cool thing about Google is that you can make up any spelling you want, and with Google, you'll find it. Phosphatidylserine. And then number five, rounding out the list, orgasm. I, I had to say it. I'm a gynecologist. Sorry. <laughs> and the favorite way to do this is orgasmic meditation. And can I give one little science moment? Totally. Awesome. So we know that one of the challenges for women of a certain age, and here I'm talking about women who are 30-somethings through 50-somethings, stress does not favor women. Men actually dance with stress better than women do. They have some habits that are not so good, like avoidance, coping, and abuse of certain toxins. But women, for the most part, are more hypervigilant. That's why we have double the rate of insomnia, it's why we've got more autoimmune conditions. It's why we've got more mood issues. We have 15 times the rate of thyroid problems. And we know for women, when they have an orgasm, it's the only time that they turn off that hypervigilance. And it's really important to hit that off button. So we know this. This is kind of a funny study. You can imagine uh, uh, being the researchers doing this. What they did was they looked at functional MRI. So they were scanning the brains of women while they were having an orgasm. And that's how they found that you know, the only time that the vigilant centers go dark is when a woman's having an orgasm. So that's my top five list. And you know, orgasmic meditation is another strategy that I think is very effective at balancing hormones. Is that list different for men and women? I mean, you've, you've seen my orgasm experiments with men and performance, and it seems like the rules there might be different. I think they are different. I, I definitely think for men and women, the uh, experience of orgasm is different. I think, you know, the way that oxytocin and estrogen is, is used in our bodies is different. You know, I know, for instance, that you have to hug a man three times as long as you hug a woman to get the same spike in oxytocin. So that's another little practical tip for those who are listening to us. You know, when your man is trying to pull away after a few seconds, hang on. And we're not talking about those little fake hugs. We're talking about a serious bear hug. So I definitely think that there's some differences between men and women when it comes to orgasm. We definitely know that the sexual response cycle is very different for women. And I, you probably know about this, especially having been married for a while, Dave, that for women that I really consider, you know, kind of the lead up to a sexual experience, that foreplay lasts about a week. And it has a lot to do with chores. It has a lot to do with, like, <laughs> you know, did you tell your wife how hot she looks in her skinny jeans. So there's this foreplay that I think very few men realize their behavior over the past week has a lot to do with whether they're going to get some that night. I, I think most men learn that over time when they're in, in a relationship. 
um, the the kind of specific question there is that you know women can have multiple orgasms, and you know oxytocin sort of says women um, benefit from having orgasms more frequently. The Taoist writings all say the same thing, but they say for men, not so often because it depletes your energy and makes you more tired. And um, my own little experiment showed that. Is this something that you hear about from your patients, or am I just like the crazy biohacker out there who paid attention to it? Well, I never think that you're the crazy biohacker. I always <laughs> think you're onto something. So, you know, what I, would, what I would do here is I would deconstruct a little bit. Can we do that together? Yeah, let's do it. Cool. So what I would say is we live in a culture that's not only prescription happy, we're also climax happy. Like how fast can you go from zero to 60 and have a climax? Because we're busy, you know, especially for women who are stressed out. You know, I have a, I have a patient that I saw this week who's a, a 41-year-old woman. She's got one child who's in elementary school. And she's been married for about 10 years. And she came to me and she said, I would rather mop the floor than have sex with my husband. I know he needs it. I don't feel like I need it. And honestly, I feel like I'm having mercy sex. <laughs> and I, I think those who are listening know what mercy sex is. And, you know, she's not fooling anybody. He can see it in her eyes that she's there to get him to a climax as fast as possible. She may or may not climax herself. And we're not talking here about the, the next level that she can get to when it comes to orgasm. I'm so delighted that we're having this conversation. It's not, you know, one I can usually have. So, so the idea here is for both men and women, I think it's important not to focus on climax. So how do you really fill your tank, your tank of energy with orgasm? And here I'm separating climax, you know, for men, ejaculation, for women, that rhythmic contraction of the clitoris, the labia minora. I'm separating climax from orgasm. And I think it's an important separation. So it shows up a little differently for men and women, but I, I find for women that when they work with tumescence, when they work with, you know, kind of this 30 minute, 13 minute, 30 minute, somewhere in that range with orgasmic meditation, it's 13 minutes. It's a combination of Zen Buddhism and stroking the clitoris. So let's just start with the 13 minutes because that might sound more doable. So 13 minutes of stroking the clitoris, not with the focus of having a climax, but with the focus of working with tumescence and pleasure and optimizing your oxytocin, that is incredibly effective for women. So how does that land with you, Dave? Sounds pretty darn accurate to me. And it's definitely got some of the kind of the flavor of Nicole Dadone's work as well. Oh, yes. This is Nicole Dadone's work. Absolutely. So Nicole's a dear friend of mine. I'm one of the gynecologists who was one of the early adopters of her method because we know that when you ohm or when you have an orgasm, that's not the what I call the climactic sneeze. <laughs> you know, yeah. you have a hachi wand and you have an orgasm with your your Bob, your battery operated boyfriend within 60 seconds. Like that's not what we're talking about. That does not balance your hormones, maybe a little drop in your cortisol. But when you really have this experience of orgasm that goes on for 13 minutes, maybe longer, you get to this next level with tumescence. And we know that it significantly lowers cortisol. It also in menopausal women raises estradiol and it makes your thyroid more efficient. So this is one of the most effective hormone therapies, and lo and behold, it's free. <laughs> so yeah. if everyone listening remembers this, there's basically a prescription for sex to balance your hormones. That's, that's pretty important. But not mercy sex. For real, real fun, good sex, right? Exactly. Do you talk about this in, in some detail in The Hormone Cure? I absolutely do. I love you know, it. As you can imagine, my New York publisher, Simon & Schuster, I've got the Scribner imprint of Simon & Schuster, and they're very literary, so there are many places in the book where they just, you know, were a bit bug-eyed. But I, 
Like, it's really important that we have a long list. I've got about 97 ways that you can dance differently with cortisol, dance differently with stress. And this is one of the methods. It's not the first one that I mentioned. You know, I like to warm up my reader first. <laughs> but I, I think this is so important. And another piece that I, I think is crucial to bring in here is that we're not talking about cortisol and a hot amygdala and limbic hijack just because we want you to be less stressed in the moment. It turns out there's these really important long-term results of not effectively managing cortisol. In fact, Mark Hyman in one of his books has written about how 95% of disease is either caused by or worsened by stress. Yes. We're not good stress, right? We're talking about the kind that makes you feel overwhelmed and burned out. And I, I see that a lot in, you know, people who are trying to rock their mission. So I think this is a very important place to be focused on. And it's, it's also the small hinge that swings the big door when it comes to balancing your hormones. That's true for both men and women. Yeah, the, the stress thing, the sort of type A uh, people who are really high performers who come to me for like performance coaching, it's exactly what you're saying. They have it worse because they care so much about what they're doing. And so the cortisol gets them because, you know, they, as one of my friends um, says, you know, given till there's nothing left ungiven, that sort of behavior, if you don't manage cortisol, will destroy a large amount of the productivity you can have. So true. So true. And I'm curious about your experience with men in this regard. I definitely know that women are wired, especially during our reproductive years. So we're talking about our 20s through, you know, on average, the final menstrual period for women in the U.S. is 51. So we're wired to give until we drop. Yeah. To, to over-provide you know, to people please. And then the beauty of this is that when you go through menopause, that hormonal veil is lifted and you start speaking your truth sometimes for the first time. Some women speak their truth when they're premenstrual, but it's often not an effective form of, of uh, communication. <laughs> <laughs> I'm wondering what you think about this giving until you drop and seeing it in men. Um, you, I definitely see it in men. Uh, one of my uh, one of my clients is, runs a, a successful hedge fund and has done really well. And in a conversation recently, he said, "You know, I've I, I started this with my own money, you know, more than a dozen years ago, and I've put so much into it, and now it's enormously successful. But like, I need to climb out of the hole I put myself in. You know, I'm." you know, 20, 30, 40 pounds overweight. And, you know, like, like this consumes all my attention. So when, when guys do this, it's usually seems like it's kind of slow. It just kind of adds up over time. And all of a sudden they wake up and they're like, oh my God, like I'm not in a good place. Well, this is, I'm so glad you're raising this because, um, I think we should maybe get a little deeper into this particular topic because it's a great way to talk about some of the hormones, even though I think it's also important to, in the same breath, talk about some of the genetic determinants of this, the epigenetic amplifiers and de-amplifiers. And just taking that guy as an example, this this hedge fund guy, do you have a name for him or a, a pseudonym? Um, we can, uh, well, I guess, Bob, you already used that one. Uh, John Doe. <laughs> Anonymity for these people is important. So, John. <laughs> It's a little bit as a battery-operated boyfriend, but um, okay, we'll call him John. So John's 20 pounds overweight, and we know that folks who have high cortisol are much more likely to lay down belly fat, right? Growth hormone's also involved in this, but I really think cortisol is the main player. Growth hormone becomes more important later. And we know that there's a higher risk of metabolic syndrome among people who have trouble with their cortisol levels, their glucocorticoids. That's the name of the whole family. And so this guy's 20 pounds overweight, and we know that when you have high cortisol, it does a particular tango, not such a good tango, with insulin. So when you have, Goldie, when you have cortisol that's too high, it's not in that Goldilocks position of not too high, not too low, and it's causing you to raise your blood sugar and then insulin spikes, and then you know, over time, this can, this can aggregate 
and lead to insulin resistance. And you end up getting into this downward spiral of insulin spikes, cortisol spikes, blood sugar spikes, blood sugar instability, and it creates a bad neighborhood in your body. And when insulin's high, it causes John to gain 20, 30 pounds. So even with, you know, maybe he's working with a trainer twice a week because he knows it's important to exercise, he still is going to have this uphill battle if he doesn't address the cortisol. The other piece that I think is important for him is that the way that you dance with stress, you know, if you are managing cortisol, for instance, like you're managing your 401k or your retirement plan, you've got a dashboard and you're sort of tracking these things. When you do that and you've got cortisol in the right place, you're going to have a much more easeful relationship to food. You're going to have a much more easeful relationship to your weight. So that's one of the first things that I see. In fact, there was a study at UCSF that just came out in 2012 showing that there's four times as many cortisol receptors on your belly fat as there is on the fat elsewhere. Isn't that stunning? So I'm sure your listeners know about receptors. Should I say a quick thing about that? Or Sure. Okay, so just very briefly, I think of these receptors on cells like a lock on the door of a cell. And each of these hormones fits into that lock like a key. So you've got insulin receptors that can become numb over time. That lock gets jammed if you get into that downward spiral of high cortisol, high insulin, insulin resistance. And some of these receptors, like I just mentioned, four times as many cortisol receptors on your belly fat. So when cortisol is high, you just are making 4x the number of fat cells on your belly compared to elsewhere. And some of these receptors are promiscuous, right? So for instance, the progesterone receptor, which is like nature's Valium, the progesterone receptor can get blocked by cortisol. So if you have high cortisol, it can block the progesterone receptor, and then you don't get to have that Valium-like effect. And the other problem I want to mention with this guy is, how old is John? Um, 50s. 50s, yeah. So another piece is the long-term risk of this. You know, we know for longevity, I mean, you are like the king of longevity, right? Dave, I, so when it comes to longevity, we know that you want to maintain or improve your lean body mass. Very important. And John doesn't have that going on. At least he didn't before he started working with you. The other part that's really important for longevity is your telomeres. And we know from Elizabeth Blackburn and her novel research at UCSF where she looked at premenopausal women who had a sick kid, had a kid that was in the intensive care unit compared to women who had a healthy child. What she found was that women who had the highest perception of stress had the shortest telomeres. And it wasn't minor. Telomeres are those cute little caps on your chromosomes that are one of the best markers of longevity of biological aging as opposed to chronological aging. And she found that these stressed mothers on average were aging 10 years faster than the women who had a much lower level of perceived stress. So I think those are some of the important points with, uh, with John. One other point I would make about him, how is his mood? You know, um, as far as, as far as my clients go, he was actually, uh, uh, calm and reasonably happy. Um, he's benefited from his success and from an amazing amount of hard work. Uh, so it, it's one of those things where you know you, when you have that level of high performance and you you pour it into something that you're passionate about, and and you succeed, you get a certain level of satisfaction and and safety and sort of self mastery that yeah. that comes with that. And that can that can on one level reduce stress, but on the other level, you know, it generates an enormous amount of stress because, you know, the more successful you are, the more work there is. Very true. You can get into that hole that you were describing. He was trying to climb out of the hole. And, you know, that's great that his mood was good. What about his energy? 
looking for more. I, I hear brain fog and energy issues with almost every one of my clients. Even though they're super high performing, maybe 10% don't have brain fog. The rest of them say, sometimes I just can't focus the way I want to. Like that's, you could almost predict that that's going to happen. And it's oftentimes sleep is a big issue. In fact, in almost 90, 95%, they say, I want to sleep better. Yes, 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 yes. And I've, so, you know, you can take the girl out of MIT, but you can't take the girl, um, you can't take the MIT out of the girl. So one of the things I've done over time is I've, when I figured out these hormonal issues that I had, and I fixed them within a month in my 30s, I then took my process to the next 10,000 people that I took care of in my practice. And of course, I quantitatively surveyed them as regularly as possible. And I found the same thing, Dave. I mean, it's amazing that you said 90% have brain fog and some energy issues. I found that 91% of my people want more energy or they want their energy to be more consistent. It's just too variable. And I agree with you that often sleep and hypervigilance is part of this problem. And the other piece that's important here is that high cortisol's been shown to be linked to uh, burning through your happy brain chemicals, including serotonin, which is in charge of ding, 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 your sleep, your mood, and your appetite. It's also in charge of dopamine, that important neurotransmitter of pleasure and satisfaction and focus. And I, I think some of these people are finding that the chronic stress perhaps has led to some issues with dopamine. Maybe they also have some genetic issues there, and that leads to the brain fog. That makes so much sense. Do you use low-dose cortisol, like physiological replacement doses, with your patients? I do on occasion, and uh, I thought she might ask me that today. So I here's here's my take on this. I really believe that right now, and I, I want to know if you agree with this, Dave. I believe that we're at this amazing transition time where we're going from this broken healthcare system to next-gen medicine. Personalized, you know, the cool part here is that it costs about 10 grand to sequence your entire DNA now. And by 2015, we expect it's going to cost about $100. So I really believe that we need to understand how we can change the expression of our DNA. And sadly, conventional medicine is just so far behind the times about it, how to make this actionable. It, it, uh, it drives me nuts. I mean, that's, that's why I, my wife and I wrote the Better Baby book, which is, uh, I, I'm sure has a lot, of, a lot of advice similar to what yours does, but targeted specifically around you know, the, the earlier, I want to, you know, I want to get pregnant. Would I do well? I'm pregnant side of things, but it, it's all about epigenetic expression. Every thought you have, every stress you experience and every environmental thing that you input into your system changes genetic expression. And we're just figuring that out. This is so huge. And for those who are listening, Dave's book comes out next week. We've got to promote it. You got to buy the better baby book. I want everyone who's listening to buy seven copies. I think it's really <laughs> Likewise, yeah. this hormone cure book is awesome. So buy it, buy a lot of those too. <laughs> together. You can buy them together on Amazon. I would love to be grouped together with you, Dave. So I'm getting to this low cortisol. I've got like the yeah. longest wind up here ever. But what we know right now is that somewhere around 50 to 80% of how your DNA is expressed is determined by these non-DNA epigenetic influences. And you can either create a good neighborhood for your DNA or you can create a bad neighborhood. And the situation with the cortisol is that I developed this protocol in my own body when I started biohacking more than 10 years ago. I don't think we had the term then, I'm not sure. But the Godfrey protocol is something that I developed where it's three different progressive tiered strategies. And it's based, at least step one, on functional medicine principles where you're looking upstream for why your hormones are out of balance. And what I did with these quantitative surveys is I figured out the top seven hormone imbalances that women have, probably going to take on men next. They're a little less complicated. But step <laughs> one, you fill nutritional gaps and you make those lifestyle tweaks that start to move the needle. So if we're talking about Cortisol, for instance, low cortisol, 
We talked a bit about high cortisol and we came up with the top five list. When it comes to low cortisol, step one would be things like filling in those B vitamins that have gotten depleted, vitamin C. So these things are proven in randomized trials to help with low cortisol. Step two is that you, if you don't resolve your symptoms of low cortisol, which can be you know, just feeling like burnt toast, feeling low in energy. You don't have a muffin top anymore. You just have like flabby muscles because the androgens tend to go down also when you have low cortisol. And you just feel burned out. You know, you feel like life is hard, harder than it should be. And you might have fibromyalgia. That's very common. Chronic pain syndromes. Uh, there's one genetic condition that is linked to this in this and that is the short serotonin transporter gene but step two of the gut free protocol for low cortisol would be that you try some of the proven botanicals and you have to be a little careful about this i usually recommend with step two that you're working with a clinician who's able to track things like your blood pressure because licorice has yeah. been shown trials to help with low cortisol and it's we're not talking about you know, the type of licorice that doesn't raise your blood pressure. We're talking about the one that raises your blood pressure. Also, grapefruit juice. Who knew? That has been shown in randomized trials to also raise cortisol. So step three, in my mind, is that if you don't resolve your symptoms with step one and step two, you move to the bioidentical hormones for the lowest dose and for the shortest duration. And we know because of this cutting-edge research in hormone resistance, whether that's glucocorticoid resistance or the progesterone resistance that we see in PMS or the estrogen resistance that women have starting around age 43 in terms of their brain responding to estrogen. We know that you got to be careful about taking exogenous hormones. So with this low dose cortisol thing, I am really cautious about it because I only if I end up using it, I use a very small amount and I really am careful about figuring out what the dose response is. So I hope that makes sense. I do use it occasionally. I never use it for more than 12 weeks. And often I like to have an endocrinologist involved. I also like to look at another thing that I don't even think I've talked to you about before, which is organ reserve. Do you have sort of organ reserve in your, in your dashboard, Dave? Uh, I'm not sure. Um, how are you defining organ reserve here? Uh, I, I think I do, but let's hear how you do it because you have more training in organs than I do. <laughs> there might be certain organs that you have more training in, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> Fair point. <laughs> organ reserve, I think, is a really important metric for your dashboard. You know, we're building out your dashboard. We already have the part of your dashboard where you've got your top five list of how to hit the pause button how to amplify the positive. And organ reserve is this really interesting way of looking at the capacity of an organ, such as your liver, your adrenals, your thyroid, your ovaries, your testicles, the capacity of an organ to function beyond its baseline needs. So for instance, if we're talking about your adrenal organs, this is still connected to the low cortisol question that you had. You can test how much reserve you have in your adrenals. You can do this thing called the quartz stim test where you give a control hormone, corticotrophin releasing hormone, what the pituitary releases, and you can see how you respond. So the idea is, for instance, you measure your cortisol level, you inject a known amount of this particular stimulator of cortisol, and normal people will produce a level of cortisol that's two to three-fold higher compared to their baseline level of cortisol. So that tells you about your organ reserve. And I'm a big fan of knowing about organ reserve before you start dosing with external cortisol. This is probably a way longer answer than you ever wanted. But I, you know, I think if you think back, folks who are listening to us, if you think back to when you were 18 years old, and I actually feel better in my 40s than I ever did when I was 18. But when you're 18, you have about 10 times the amount of reserve that you need in your organs. So you have about 10 times the reserve capacity that you need compared to kind of your baseline demand. And after age 30, organ reserve decreases by about 1% per year. So that by 85, your organ reserve is a tiny fraction of the original capacity. 
And what I want, Dave, for you and me and all of our listeners is to not have the tiny fraction at 85. Like I want to be brimming with energy. Yes. Right? At 85. So organ reserve, that's that's sort of a concept that I bring in when you ask me about low cortisol. Because I think it's important to know what some of those metrics are. Like are you... Is your organ reserve low in the adrenals? Are you doing the things that you need to do? You know, we mentioned, for instance, uh, heart math. Are you doing the things you need to do to promote organ reserve? I almost think about it like little chi. (laughs) Can I bring in a little uh, Chinese medicine analogy here? Totally. So, yeah, this is the hippie and the Jimmy Choo's. So, You know that in traditional Chinese medicine, which has been around for 6,000 plus years, that there's three different types of qi, energy. And one type I'm really fascinated by is called prenatal qi. So it's the amount of energy that you received from your parents at conception. And the interesting part about natal qi is that you have to conserve it. You can't supplement it. You have to be really careful about how you burn through your needle chi. And what I worry about in someone like John, the hedge fund guy, I worry that he might have burned through some of his needle chi. And this is a concept that kind of stopped me in my tracks in my 30s and just got me to realize that a big part of the problem was not just how much stress I was under, but my perception of the stress. Yes. That's the core of resilience there. You can handle enormous stress if you don't think it's stressful. (laughs) You realize that the locus of control is internal, which is a gigantic aha. So this this idea of of natal chi is is part of the reason that we wrote the Better Baby book, because if you can increase that through what you do as as a mother, you're setting your child up for a lifetime of success and even your grandkids up for a lifetime of success, which is sort of the most impactful book that I could imagine writing was, you know, what, what can you do for nine to 12 months that will have two lifetimes worth of impact? Uh, so it, it's, it's very interesting to hear you bring in the Chinese medicine side of it. It, it's, it maps very nicely back to this you know, idea of, of how much do you have in your, you know, your, I, I kind of think of it like a bank account. But you have this this account. You can draw stress from your stress account, and you can replenish it. But if you deplete it too much, it's very hard to replenish. That's right. And I would take it one step further. I mean, I I, I like the bank account analogy. I would even say there's a there's a chemistry lab here. Yeah. Where you can, it's very dynamic. We're still learning how you can actually change your hormones as well as the upstream control systems. And I think it's so important to realize how many choices, how much power you have around this. And as you were talking about needle tea and the better baby book, I was thinking, amen. I mean, I totally agree with what you're saying about conserving that needle tea as a mother. And then also as, as both a man and a woman, as a mother and a father modeling for your child how to conserve that natal chi. Because I think it's so much more important. You know, many of us go to that place of over-providing when we have a kid. Kids trigger it like crazy. And I think it's so important to realize that our kids are watching us and watching what's what we're modeling. And and often parents will get into that perfectionist trap of wanting certain things for our children, wanting them, you know, to have maybe a easeful relationship with their weight or to roll with the punches better, have resilience, as you described, and yet we're not doing it ourselves. And kids are totally onto us, right? They know <laughs> that they're modeling it. So we got to give up that perfectionism. we got to step more into how do I model wholehearted living? How do I model some of these things that I most want for my child? How do I model day-to-day at the breakfast table how to conserve your natal chi? That would be the one word summary of um, good parenting or the one sentence summary of good parenting. And it's, it's an ongoing challenge. That's for sure. Yes. And I, I think uh, I'm bringing in a few Renee Brown ideas here. I really love her work on shame and what's fascinating to me in the conversation she's having about shame, especially in her new book, Daring Greatly. 
she's talking quite a bit about a stress response, like the shame response around perfectionism, around feeling like you're not enough, or just getting shamed by another mother or a colleague. It is the stress response. Like yes. Flight. There's many ways into that fight or flight response because it's not a very sophisticated system, right? It's quite archaic. Well, the, the part of you that feels shame is like the Labrador part of your brain. It, it's, it's not a rational part of the brain at all. And it, it always maps back to a survival thing. And, you know, when, when shame is triggered in you, it triggers a stress response that's the fight or flight. Because, you know, if, if you're feeling shame, it means no one's going to love you. If no one's going to love you, no one's going to feed you. And if no one's going to feed you, you're going to starve and be all alone. And, well, that's stressful. And it's so annoying because we all know that that's not true. But it doesn't matter what we know. It's what, you know, the Labrador in your head thinks. See, Dave, this is why I love you, you know, with, with great respect for your beautiful wife. Uh, <laughs> I'm, and don't worry, I'm happily married. But I, you just so beautifully described what some people call the reptilian brain, but you put it in Dave Asprey language, the Labrador part of your brain. I think that is so helpful to it, look at it that way. And if then, if you think about it, Sarah, Labrador is like, oh, look, a stick. Oh, look, a leg. I'll go hump the leg. Like, literally, we all have that in our heads. <laughs> it's hard to connect with your inner lizard. It's very hard. And, you know, ultimately, we're not that sophisticated when it comes to the way that we react unless you retrain your thoughts, right? I mean, I think this is a central part of hormone balance and engaging both the upstream and the downstream systems and how they help you either feel like crap or they help you feel like you're a rock star who can take on your mission. You know, the interesting part here is that the Labrador part of your brain or the reptilian brain yep. sends a text message to these different organ systems. So when you're, you know, say for instance, you've got a toddler who's racing toward an electric socket and you all of a sudden go into fight or flight, that, that sends a text message to your thyroid to slow down. It sends a text message to your gonads, whether you're a man or a woman, ovaries and women, testicles and men, to slow down. And the problem is if we're constantly feeling like we're you know, going from one stressor to the next, we're running from task to task, which is a classic stress measure, you are slowing down your thyroid. You're slowing down your gonads. And I call this, you know, I like to keep it astonishingly simple. What I call this is your hormonal Charlie's Angels. That's what I call it in women anyway. And that's your, you know, how you are either having cortisol, estrogen, and thyroid working for you, not against you. And in men, I call it the three amigos, your cortisol, your testosterone, and your thyroid. And another important part is the testosterone estradiol ratio for men. Tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah, well, so for, you know, I, I always, whenever I talk about science, I love to bring in cases. And um, I, I didn't even clear this with you ahead of time. But do you know about your, since you're a biohacker, Dave, I can't resist. You can turn me down here. Do you know about your ratios between testosterone or estrogen and estrogen? Can you say anything even... Uh, qualitatively about your estrogen kind of before and after your experiment? Oh, my, uh, my orgasm experiment? Oh, no, your, um, your experiment with losing 100 pounds and biohacking your matrix. Like, do I, you know about estrogen levels? Yes. So At the beginning, or I'd say after I'd only lost 50 of the pounds, I had them measured. This is probably a dozen years ago. I had high estrogen and very low testosterone, and I was over-aromatizing uh, pretty dramatically. Yes, and how did that show up in your body then? Oh, I mean, I, I had big love handles, um, these lovely man boobs, uh, you know, uh, general inflammation throughout the body as well, and low energy and brain fog. Like, it was not a particularly great place. Right. Well... So I wanted you to describe this because I think it's more powerful than me just talking about, you know, some guy from my practice. So I, I love how you described it. I mean, you're so accurate as usual. We know that if you are over aromatizing, if you're making too much estrogen for whatever reason, you know, maybe it's because 
you're overweight and you have fat loss resistance and you have too many fat cells, or maybe you have uh, some toxic effects from endocrine disruptors in the environment, and we know there's thousands of those, or maybe you have uh, a fondness for the drink, as my Irish relatives say, and you drink a little too much, and we know that that makes estrogen do a backflip and causes you to have an increased risk of uh, estrogen dominance, and that's in both men and women. In fact, there's a study from Harvard showing that in women who have more than three to six servings of alcohol per week, there's an increased risk of breast cancer and increased levels of these bad estrogens. So I'm not saying you must not drink. I'm saying drink less, better quality. But well, I, I'll say it for you then. Um, drink, Just don't drink. It's not necessary for health. Okay, there I said it. <laughs> you, okay. <laughs> I have to say, you know, especially living in the Bay Area and some of the wines that we have, but I have to watch it. And, you know, you described so beautifully um, what it looked like when you had too much estrogen compared to progest- to uh, testosterone. And we know for men and women, testosterone is incredibly important. It yeah. gives a, you know, not just sex drive, it gives us agency. You know, you were talking about John and his sense of agency. And testosterone is a big part of that, confidence. Don't you feel more confident now than you did before, Dave? I, I certainly do. And I know a few women who've uh, either used tribulus, the herb that raises testosterone, or very small doses of exogenous testosterone. And um, all I can say is, wow, like they kick ass in a very literal sense um, in the bedroom as well as, um, you know, in the boardroom. It doesn't matter. Having the right amount, but not too much can do wonders. And having too much, they'll tear your head off. <laughs> Yes, roid rage, not a good thing. And, you know, what I find what I find in women, actually the biggest reason for low testosterone, number one, is being on the birth control pill. I actually think the birth control pill is evil. And uh, we, we write the same thing in our book, so total agreement there. Total agreement. And what's stunning to me is the millions and millions and millions of teenagers and 20-somethings and 30-somethings that are still taking it they never get the informed consent that they deserve. Can I get on a soapbox just for a moment? Do it. So this is a bit uh, hyperbolic, but I believe that the birth control pill is a form of genital mutilation because not only does it rob you of testosterone, robs you of free testosterone, it also can shrink your clitoris by up to 20%. So That's just not okay. I mean, you got to draw the line somewhere. It's not okay, and I, you know, I don't want to minimize the crisis in other places where you know there's there's forms of genital mutilation. But I, I really think it's important that women know about this. It's the kind of evidence that's not promoted because it it runs counter to the pharmaceutical industry. And the other part that's important is that twenty percent of women who are on the birth control pill find that sex becomes painful. Like they go on the, here's the great irony. They go on the pill because they want to have protected sex and yet they don't want to have sex because their testosterone is barely measurable and sex becomes painful because they, you know, some of us genetically have the kind of receptors that are like a Prius and we can go really far and efficiently with a low level of testosterone. And then some of us have what my friend Andrew Goldstein calls the Hummer receptors, where <laughs> you drop your testosterone level on the birth control pill, it's miserable. Like your your receptors in your vagina can't handle it, and that's when sex becomes painful and you have dryness. So um, not sure how I got on that soapbox, but the, oh yeah, so that's one of the reasons why women drop their testosterone. And then another reason is, you know, back to this original thing we were talking about of unmanaged stress. Sarah, I, I need to get on my soapbox for just a second here. Guys, if yeah. you just heard that, you need to go home and tell your girlfriend or wife to get the hell off the pill. This is in your own best interest, okay? There Thank we go. you. <laughs> Amen. I love that. And, you know, this is not just uh, – there's a lot of science here also on the, the whole ratio between testosterone and estradiol. We know that um, there's just a study coming out that came out recently that showed – for men who have a, a less favorable ratio, they have a much greater risk of heart disease. 
So these ratios are really an important part of your your dashboard. And you know, for women, I, I feel like they women often are under this mythology of testosterone and how it's a male hormone. And as you were describing, it's so important for women to realize that testosterone is 10 times more plentiful in their bloodstream than even estrogen. You know, we think of estrogen as being the male, the the main female hormone, and yet we've got way more testosterone. So I, I think it's really important to be watching those things. And I'm not a huge fan of external testosterone. I would much rather people use this Scott-free protocol that I was describing to raise testosterone. We also very briefly have this shameful past when it comes to women and synthetic hormones where women received Premarin and Provera, these two hormones that are dangerous and provocative, for 57 years as part of a vast uncontrolled medical experiment until the first randomized trial was done in 1999 and then the second trial of these drugs in 2002, the Women's Health Health Initiative. And so to me, it's really important to have a bar of safety, to have randomized trials, multiple randomized trials before I recommend a treatment. And with testosterone, unfortunately, most of the trials only go out about six months. Wow. That's pretty – this is for men and women or just women? So the data in men goes out longer. You know, there's a – there's a lot more interest in this, as you might imagine, with all the type A executives at pharmaceutical companies. So there's much more data on men in testosterone, but when it comes to women in testosterone, you know, just sort of uh, um, topping off your level of testosterone so that you're not in that place of too much or too little, we don't have as much data. In fact, one of the reasons why there's a patch, a testosterone patch for men but there's not a testosterone patch for women is because the efforts to get the testosterone patch through women failed because of the lack of safety data. They also found that the women in the randomized trials with the testosterone patch had sex one more time per month compared to women who didn't. And this brings up that whole issue of, you know, trying to track sexuality and the effect of some of these hormones, not from an anecdotal experience, but from looking at a whole population. And you might argue that the way we were collecting the information might be flawed. But we also and, we also talked about shame. And so yeah. many people have shame tied to sex that doing any kind of data uh, in from broad populations on sex brings up shame issues and misreporting. Like it's a, just a, it's a messy science. It's a messy science. It's really, you know, the the problem with the way that we collect evidence is that we do these big population-based studies, and it's part of that old-school medicine tenet of one-size-fits-all medicine, and that's not part of personalized medicine, next-gen medicine. I think it's it's really important to think about the end of one experiment. Like, what does your life look like? What's your quality of life when you're on testosterone versus not. And that's, you know, if I have someone who's got low sex drive, like this woman who said she'd rather mop the floor, she actually felt dramatically better just when we addressed her high cortisol, which was the root cause of why her testosterone was low. So we went through just step one of the protocol. But I have lots of other women that I'll take through the protocol and ultimately they end up on testosterone. And what I tell them is not, you know, you're not allowed to have that because we don't have long enough randomized trials. I say, here we are with the evidence. I got six months of randomized trials. I don't know about the long-term safety, but why don't we do an end of one experiment where you really track how you're feeling right now with your confidence, sex drive, agency, what you think of when you see, you know, Ryan Gosling on TV or whoever your guy is, and let's have you use testosterone for six weeks, get your level into that Goldilocks position of not too high, not too low, and see what your quality of life looks like. So that's the situation where I'll do it, but I think with full informed consent. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, we are coming to the end of our show today, and you have some really cool bonuses for your book launch, which is happening uh, this week. Can you tell us your URL again and what juicy bonuses you've got planned for people? Yes, absolutely. So if you want to learn about this particular book offer and some of the bonuses that we put together, you can go to the hormonecurebook.com forward slash bulletproof book. How's that, Dave? I wanted to bring in your your brands that I love so much. I'm oh. sitting here drinking your coffee, by the way. Love it. Thank you. 
Absolutely. So uh, shall I just run through some of those bonuses? Yeah, sure. Okay, cool. Well, I've got a few bonuses if you buy seven books. I just wanted to make it really easy and fun and to amplify the positive within your body, you know, really connect to that innate intelligence and how it helps you balance your hormones naturally. So for people who buy seven books, and this is priced at the Amazon price, they get the following bonuses. They get my blacklist of the top 10 foods that hijack your hormones. They get my expert interviews with a number of the influencers that I think are important when it comes to hormones, including Danielle Laporte. She's just written a book about desire, and I'm a big fan of her. She's a great entrepreneur who brings in these feminine concepts that I think are important for both men and women. Gabby Bernstein on spirit and miracle mindset and how that uplevels your neurohormonal dashboard. Cynthia Pasquella, who is a transformational nutritionist. I also have my jumpstart PDFs, and the idea there is when I'm working with people, whether it's someone like John or this woman that I told you about who would rather mop the floor than have sex with her husband, I really hear from them that they don't want some gigantic project. They want this to be ridiculously easy. Like, just give me a couple baby steps to start with. And so I, I put all those together into a series of PDFs on energy, sex, weight, and mood that you'll get immediately when you purchase your seven books. I have a Q&A webinar, March 25th, by invitation only. You get to get your seat reserved. You also get a Vitality movie that's all about some of these topics that we've been, we've been discussing. There's a video training on Heal Your Sugar Cravings. This is one of the top problems that I see in my practice. I also have membership in my, my group coaching program for a month in April. I have a few friends who threw in some bonuses, including a guy named Josh Axe, Dr. Josh Axe. He's got some really interesting burst fit uh, training that you can do as well as a cookbook. So I didn't describe all of them, but those are some of the bonuses if you buy seven copies. And guys, do this for the women in your life. Your life will get better by giving this as a gift to the women in your life. If you want to just get one copy, you still get some bonuses at that lower level. And it's all listed at thehormonecurebook.com forward slash bulletproof book. Dr. Sarah Gottfried, it's always a pleasure. I look forward to sitting down for coffee with you in the Bay Area next time I'm there. And thank you for being on our show. Thank you, Dave. Such a pleasure to be with you. And thanks to your listeners, too. Human Upgrade, formerly Bulletproof Radio, was created and is hosted by Dave Asprey. The information contained in this podcast is provided for informational purposes only and is not intended for the purposes of diagnosing, treating, curing, or preventing any disease. Before using any products referenced on the podcast, consult with your healthcare provider, carefully read all labels, and heed all directions and cautions that accompany the products. Information found or received through the podcast should not be used in place of a consultation or advice from a healthcare provider. If you suspect you have a medical problem or should you have any healthcare questions, please promptly call or see your healthcare provider. This podcast, including Dave Asprey and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to herein. This podcast is owned by Bulletproof Media.